Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. In Luke chapter 5, if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can look on the screen. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 5 just for a little bit. But in Luke chapter 5, Jesus begins to draw some major attention. If you read uh, chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, Jesus is preaching in the synagogues and he, he's building a following. In fact, Luke chapter 4 tells us that Jesus healed many people. And the way that Luke chapter 4 ends is that Jesus gets word that this man named Simon Peter has a mother-in-law who's sick. And Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house. His mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. Jesus comes on the scene. She's going to die. He heals her. She gets up, begins to serve him. How many know that if Jesus comes to your house in the middle of a crisis and performs a miracle, he's going to get your attention? Jesus, at this point, gets the attention of, of Simon Peter. When Jesus gets your attention, you become a perfect candidate for him to do something great in your life. The very next verse begins Luke chapter 5, and I just want to read you these 11 verses speaking of Simon Peter. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people who were crowding around him were listening to the word of the Lord. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there, left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got in one of the boats belonging to Simon, this is Simon Peter, and asked them to put out a little while from shore. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help. And they came, they filled both boats. So they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is the first time that Simon is experiencing Jesus this personally. Before he was an admirer of Jesus. But now for the first time he calls Jesus Lord and something happens. It says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they were taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Peter starts this spiritual walk after an encounter with Jesus. And it says here in Luke chapter 5 that he followed him. Peter starts off following him with, with excitement and abandonment and fervor and zeal and awe. He followed him. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 26. I want to read one verse to you. This is what it says of Peter, the man who started out following with such awe and excitement. It says this, but Peter followed at a, say it with me, distance. I want to preach a message to you this morning simply entitled, Social Distance Christianity. Social Distance Christianity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. God, we know that it's, it's your word that changes our hearts. It's your word that pierces our spirit. And so, God, as you even use my words today, let them not be my words. Let them be your words. God, as you speak to us, and God, my prayers, may we never be the same today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.
Social Distance Christianity. Today is March 15th, 2021. 14th. Thank you. I'm getting ahead of myself. It was one year ago this week that we had our last service as a church before we would close our doors for the pandemic. In all, our doors would be shut for a total of 29 weeks as we learned to maneuver this pandemic. It was 29 weeks of uncertainty and news reports and conflicting reports. It was 29 weeks of us uh, trying to reach out to you and make sure you're okay. It was 29 weeks of people that are in this building now getting COVID. It was 29 weeks of even people that are in this room now burying a loved one because of, of COVID. And it was just 29 weeks of, 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 of uncertainty and, and then the political unrest and all these things that happened. But it was one year ago that we would start using words that were never in our vocabulary. Words like quarantine and lockdown and super spreader and Fauci. I'd never used the word social distancing before March of last year. Social distancing. And those words have all been associated with health and life. And we know that in, in the medical field that those words are necessary to, to properly navigate through this season. But I believe both spiritually and metaphorically long before COVID, the church has been full of Christians who've been wearing masks and social distancing themselves from the things of God. From the fall of man in the garden, when Adam and Eve hid themselves, there's been a proclivity inside of man to always turn back, to always drift, to always wonder, to always distance themselves from the things of God. No matter if you look at Elijah or David or Moses or Jonah or Peter, there's always this tendency for, for man to, to drift back, to kind of fall behind. But the good news is, in 2,000 years, the, the invitation from Jesus has not changed. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what your background is or how much money you, you have or don't have or what you've done or how far you've drifted. Jesus always makes an invitation to every single one of us to get close to him. That is the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is not for you to occupy a church on a Sunday morning. The goal of Christianity is not for you just to raise your hand and say, yes, I'm saved. The goal of Christianity is not just for Jesus to save you from hell. That is the byproduct. But the goal of Christianity is closeness with the Savior. That God always calls us to be close to him. And he makes this invitation to every single one of us just to get close. And in our original text, he he tells Peter, James, and Johns, he, he tells them to, to, to follow me. And, and as you look at these two words, we, we can get caught up in what those words mean. And, and most of us associate those words with, with submission. And yes, there is truth in that. But if that's all we look at it and we don't realize that they're words of proximity and words of closeness, closeness and words of intimacy, that, then we've, we've missed it. Anytime uh, Jesus called someone, he called them to a life of closeness. He would, he would call uh, Peter and Andrew and John he would, and James. He would call them away. They, they were close to their, their profession. He, they were close to their boats. He would call them away from that and call them to get close to him. It was the rich young ruler that he was close to his possessions. And Jesus said, go and sell everything that you have. Why? Because there's a new closeness I want to give you. So anytime Jesus comes on the scene, what he expects from us and what he wants from us is for us to get 
closer. The, the, the invitation from Jesus, by the way, it's not a part-time job. It's not something that you can just do some of the time. You, 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 you can't do it from a distance. You, you, you can't pick and choose the aspects of Christianity that you want to follow. You either follow or you don't. You're either close or you're not. There's no in-between. Lee Camp, the great theologian, said it this way of following Jesus. He says, following Jesus is all about proximity, nothing else. Jesus always asked his disciples to follow him. Not merely accept him, not merely believe in him, not merely worship him, but to follow him. And he says it this way, one either follows Christ or he does not. You can't follow halfway. You, you can't pick and choose what parts of the path you want to follow. If I invited you to come to my house after lunch today and you, you had no idea how to get there, and if we're traveling down the road and I take a right and you take a left, you're never going to get there. You either follow or you don't. And the reality is people start reading the Bible and say, yes, I'll follow this. Yes, I'll follow this. Yes, I'll follow this. But sometimes where Jesus takes a right, we take a left. And the reality is the goal of Christianity is closeness. You either follow or you don't. In the book, The Dust of the Rabbi, the, the author just brilliantly lays out in Hebrew culture when, when uh, a rabbi would call a disciple to follow him, that the goal was always closeness. And he says the way that they learned to follow the rabbi was they would get as close as they possibly could. And every step that the rabbi would take, the dust of his sandals would kick up and the, and the follower, the disciple, would literally place his feet in the same exact place that the rabbi placed and he wasn't even watching the rabbi, he was watching the dust come off of him. You have to get real close to get in the dust. It's all about closeness. And I guess my question today is simply this. Are we closer today than we were yesterday? Are we closer to Jesus today than we were last month? Are, are, are you closer to Jesus today than when the pandemic started one year ago? And that's a tough question to answer, or it's a challenging question, I have to say, because I've come to realize that the closer I get to Jesus, the more it costs me. And that's counterintuitive to what a lot of us have been taught in church. Because some of us have been taught that if you just accept Jesus, then everything is hunky-dory. You get the parking spot and everything's rainbows and cupcakes. Because we want to make it about comfort. But look what Jesus says. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He's saying, if you really want to be close to me, if you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to live this thing out, you're going to have to deny yourself. It's, it's going to cost you. Following Jesus isn't always easy. It's not always comfortable. It is a hard thing to do. Let me show you how hard this thing is. In our text, Peter is called by Jesus. He, he, he begins to follow Jesus. Jesus actually makes him one of the original 12 disciples. He's all about following Jesus. I want to fast forward now three and a half years. Jesus is about to die. It's, it's the night of the Passover. They're having a Passover man, which was a Jewish tradition. It's a Thursday night. It's going to be on this Friday, the very next day, that Jesus is going to pick up his cross literally and die for our sins. It's the night before this. Jesus has the 12 disciples in a room. They're eating a meal together. And then this is what Jesus says to them. I want you to see this. He says this. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus is quoting Zechariah. It's an Old Testament prophecy. He's telling them this. You tonight, you're going to deny me. 
He's saying, if, if there was social media back 2,000 years ago, you're going to unfollow me. This thing is about to get real. He is warning them of what's happening. And this is what it says in verse 32. It says, and Peter answered, or verse 33. I, how many know Peter's always the first one to speak up? Peter answered and said to him, Jesus, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Hey, hey, you can count on me, Jesus. I know all these other jokers, they probably going to say some stupid stuff, but come on, Jesus. I am Peter. I walked on water. I always speak first. I mean, if anybody, is there anybody you can count on, it's me. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if they put a gun to my head, even if they kill me, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. I will not deny you. I just want you to see this picture. Peter says, I ain't going to do it. I ain't never going to do it. I ain't never, 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 never going to do it. And what I'm specifically not going to do is deny you. I will never do it. Question, how many of us in a weak area of our lives told Jesus, I will never do it only to do it? How many of us in a service like this promised Jesus, I know I did it, but I will never do it again, and you did it again? I mean, you've made promises. I'll never do it again. I'll never act like that again. I'll never watch that stuff again. I'll never smoke it again. I'll never commit that sin again. I think we can all relate. I mean, there's things I said I'd never do that I did. There's things I promised Jesus I would never do again, and I did them again. Peter says, I will follow you. I will never deny you. And here we are three verses later, same night, y'all. This ain't like two years went by when he made the promise. This is the same night, an hour and 45 minutes later, Peter gets tested with what he said he would never do. Now watch this. Matthew 26, verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it. There's one. And he said, uh, girl, you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're talking about. Everybody say, that's one. Next verse. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to him, this dude was also with Jesus. But then again, he, everybody say, that's two. Okay, now it's even deeper with an oath, which means, um, the, the first time he denies, he just denies. This time it says he denies with an oath. An, an oath in this terms would be the same time type of oath that we would take. Uh, it, it's a legal term. Uh, for, for you to go back on your oath, even to a person, if you declared an oath, uh, you would be convicted of perjury. So he's perjuring himself. Okay? So he's like, man, you got me confused. Like, I, I just got one of those faces. I look familiar. I don't know the dude. Okay? That's two. Next verse. And a little later, y'all, this is all the same night. Two hours later, on the same night, those who stood by came up to Peter saying, surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then check out Peter. Then he began to curse and swear saying, I don't know what the blankety blank you talking about. I don't know the blankety blank. 
Man, so he goes from denial to denial with an oath to now he's cursing them out. Now watch this. When he began to curse and swear, saying, I don't know the man, all of a sudden the rooster. And it says this. And Peter remembered. You know what I'm praying for today? I've been praying for the rooster to crow. That Jesus would take you back to places of faithfulness and goodness in your life. To remind you that no matter how far you've drifted, you can always come back. So, so Peter, this guy who says, I ain't ever going to do it. This is the guy that walked on water. He tells Jesus, I'm not going to do it. Y'all, the same night, he denies him three times. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, what, what happened to Peter? What, I mean, seriously, what happened to Peter? And here's my question. Did Peter quit loving Jesus? No. Did, did Peter all of a sudden quit believing that Jesus was the Messiah? No. Did, did all of a sudden Peter get possessed by the devil? No. Then what happens? Two words. The cost. The cost. If he says yes, Jesus is my boy, he would have had to pay the cost. He would have been guilty by association. At the very least, he would have been mocked and persecuted. More likely, though, he would have been put on trial with Jesus. He considered the cost. And listen to me. And Peter chooses his comforts and convenience over the cost. Listen to me. Too many church folk try serving Jesus as long as it's comfortable and convenient. But listen to me. The gospel is not a gospel of comfort and convenience. It is one that will cost you. Whoever desires to come after me must deny himself. Or whoever desires to save his own life must lose it. And whoever loses it must will save it. It will cost you. Following Jesus will cost you. Taking a stand for holiness and righteousness will cost you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to befriend you and unfriend you. It's going to cost you. It's when we say, I, I love you, Jesus, but, but you, you know, there's this area of my life I don't really want to give up. It's going to cost you. I love you, Jesus, and I want to live pure and holy and righteous, but there's some friends of mine who are, I still like hanging with them. It's going to cost you. You know, Jesus, I, I love you, Jesus. I really want to follow you, but let me just keep some distance. I don't know if I can go all in just yet. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And look at verse 58. It says this of Matthew 26, but Peter followed him at a distance. Luke chapter five, it says he left everything, his boats, his fish, his gear, his family and followed him. And then we see in Matthew 26, he's following at a distance. Listen to me. Satan is okay with you following Jesus just as long as you follow him at a distance. So, so keep coming on Sundays, keep amening me, Keep raising your hand, keep singing the songs, just don't go all in. Just don't get too close. Just, just don't get too far into this thing. Just, just follow at a distance. What is following at a distance? You know, when, when, when the, the mandates came out last year, and, uh, 
we started getting masks for the first time in our lives. And then this term social distance came out and it was, you know, six feet and, you know, people walking around with tape measures and all this stuff. And you, I remember the first time I was at Walmart, somebody sneezed. I'm like, get behind me, Satan. I mean, you just don't know, you know, it's all coming out. And, and um, but why, why did they tell us to social distance, Philip? It's to keep us safe. Watch this. Following at a distance is playing it safe. And I believe if I read the word of God correctly, you cannot be a Christian and play it safe. The idea of this passionless, vanilla, chilled out, lukewarm, playing it safe church has got to go. Listen to me. In 2021, it's not the time to play it safe. It's not the time to be lukewarm. It's not the time to be vanilla. It's not the time to be half-hearted. It's not the time to look like the world or fit in the culture. It is the time to be all in. Watch this. When Paul is talking to the church at Rome, the church at Rome is betwixt culture and Christ. They're stuck between the two. If you read the first 11 chapters of Rome, he's, uh, Romans, he's talking about culture. He gets to Romans chapter 12. He starts talking about the pattern of this world. Look at verse 9 of Romans chapter 12. This is what Paul says about culture in our re response to it. He says, your love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. He says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Look at verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. That word zeal in the Greek is the Greek word zelos. It means hot enough to boil. What does it mean? God's not looking for a lukewarm church. He's looking for a church that is on fire, that will preach the unadulterated word of God and take a stand for him every single time. But we can't... We can't follow at a distance. Watch this. Peter was one guy at the Passover. He was another guy in the city courts. What is following at a distance? Following at a distance is when the Sunday morning you and the Friday night you are two different people. I'm with Jesus on the Passover. But when I get into city square, I don't even know him. It's easy to praise on Sunday. It's easy to shout on Sunday. It's easy to follow close on Sunday because you're with the core. It was easy for Peter. Peter's with the other 11. We love you. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going to deny you. Peter is with the core. Listen to me. This morning, you're with the core. Nobody denies him when you're with the core. The problem is when the core leaves, you're stuck with the crowd. And this is where a lot of us get in trouble. Because we get stuck between the core that's in here and the crowd, which is out there. Now listen, you can play it both ways for a while, but sooner or later, you're going to have to pledge your allegiance to something. Sooner or later, a topic is going to come up, something is going to come up that's going to put you in a predicament where you have to choose, wait a minute, I'm about to get found out. Who am I, am I with the Christ 
or am I with the crowd? And listen to me, when you pick the Christ, it's going to cost you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to call you holy roller, Jesus freak, old fashioned, bigot. They're going to say some stuff about you. I can't believe they take a stand. It's 2021. So what's it going to be? Sooner or later, we are all going to have to pick, am I standing with the Christ or I'm standing with the, cro- the crowd? You can't, you can't do both. I, ha- I had a guy, they used to come to church with us and he used to tell me this all the time. He said, you know, pastor, I, well, I, I just do both. I, I hang out with sinners because that's where Jesus hung out with. And I looked at him one day and said, okay, but be careful. Jesus sat with sinners. He didn't sin with sinners. And if you can't sit without sinning, then you pick the wrong crowd. Peter's with the crowd. And as soon as he gets with the crowd, remember, he's with the core. I ain't never going to, I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to do it. As soon as he gets with the crowd, Jesus who? You got me confused. As soon as he gets with the crowd, he sinned. And when he sins, the rooster crows. I'm trying to grasp what Peter's mindset is during this time. And I just want you, I think there's some people in here today who have the same mindset of Peter when the rooster crowed. Because here's a man who started off with all the great intentions of the world to follow Jesus. And and he gets to this place when the rooster crows and then he realizes this ain't where I want to be. And he sees from a distance when the rooster crows, all this is happening in a 16 hour time span. It's going to take 16 hours for Jesus to end up on a cross. He, he sees this. And as he's seeing the rooster crow, all of a sudden, Jesus uh, is, is handed over to, to Annas. Annas is the, the former high priest. And Annas is going to try to build a case against Jesus. He's, he's going to throw stuff that doesn't stick. They're going to have all these little mock trials inside of his home. And they're going to begin to interrogate Jesus and beat Jesus. And it doesn't work. So Annas hands Jesus over now to Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the current high priest. Caiaphas is also Jewish rule. He's trying to put some stuff on Jesus that doesn't stick. They're just mad because Jesus is getting all the attention. Caiaphas is going to interrogate Jesus and be, beat Jesus. All this is happening. They're trying to build a case against him. They still don't have a case against Jesus. Peter is back watching all this unfold. Annas can't get a case against Jesus. Caiaphas can't get a case against Jesus. So they say to themselves, let's hand him over to Roman rule. So they, Roman rule, they hand him over to Pilate. Pilate can't find a case against Jesus, but he gives it to the people, the crowd. Watch out for the crowd again. And he asks the crowd, I'm going to release somebody today. Who do you want me to release? This barbarian named Barabbas or Jesus? And they said, crucify Jesus. This is all in less than 16 hours. Peter is watching all this unfold. And it says he, they take Jesus and they begin to whip him with a cat of nine tails. They're whipping the, ripping the flesh out of his, his back. They take a crown of mulberry thorns and they place it on his head. They, they begin to pluck out his beard. The scripture says he's even unrecognizable as a man. They would put this beam on his shoulders and he would walk down the, 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 the Via Della Rosa up to the skull of Golgotha. He would lay on that beam. They would take nine inch nails and stick it in his wrist and they would prop him up on a cross and guess who's watching this whole time Peter and I think Peter is feeling the same way about his decision the way that some of you are thinking and this is the way sometimes I think about my decision how in the world did I get here this isn't this isn't what I signed up for when I raised my hand to get saved I set out to follow him and make a difference and fall in love with him and be a disciple but how did I get here I blew it 
I don't know if you ever felt like you blew it. I felt that way many times. Can't believe I did it. Can't believe I said that. I can't believe I treated them like that. How did I get here? And he watches Jesus. Jesus is, dies on the cross. He's, he's buried. And he resurrects. Jesus comes back down to earth and he's going to spend 40 days. And the very next time we see Peter, guess what Peter's doing? Go with me now to John chapter 21. I'm, I'm closing. John 21. Very next time we see Peter, the shame, the guilt, the confusion, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. The very thing Jesus calls him out of is the very thing he goes back to. See, when you follow Jesus at a distance, there will always be a propensity to go back to your old ways, to what you're familiar with. Old friends, old habits, old ways, old vices, old sins. Peter goes back to fish and he says, I'm going back. I mean, I can't get over what I did. I can't believe I did that to Jesus. I'm just going to go back to who I was before I ever became a Christian. And he goes back. He goes back to the boat. He has his nets. Listen to me. No matter where you are in your walk, just don't go back. Just don't go back. You can feel like you're stuck. Stay stuck. You're going to make a step eventually. Just don't go back. Just don't go back. Why? Because the enemy's plan is always to get you back. We are living in a day and age in America. We're even seeing the rise of the apostate church. Scripture tells us over and over that there's a falling away of, of people who were once saints, who are turning their back, who are going back. It's what Jesus tells the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He says, I, I know you've done all these things and you looked apart, but he says you've left your first love. He's talking to a church that was once like Peter that followed him closely and they left him somewhere. It doesn't say they lost him. It says they, they left him. If you lose it, you don't know where it is. But if you left it, when speaking of the end times in Matthew 24, Jesus tells us many will turn back. He's talking about the church. He says the love of the church will actually wax cold. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul tells us there's going to be this great turning back, this great falling away. Why? Because the enemy's plan is always to get us just to go back. And look what happens when he goes back. He says, I'm going fishing. And they said, we are going with you also. Be careful when you go back because the unintended consequence, whether you realize it or not, is that somebody's going to go with you. They, they go fishing with him. And it says they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Does that sound familiar? Three and a half years earlier, when Jesus called them, guess what they caught? Nothing. Now watch this. So they're fishing all night. When the morning came, Jesus, now this is the re resurrected Jesus with a glorified body. He looks different. Stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know who he was. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered no. And he said to them, cast your net to the other side, the right side, and you will find some. 
I think they have to start thinking, wait a minute, is, is this deja vu? Didn't we go through this already? Wasn't it three and a half years ago when Jesus stood on the shore and we caught nothing and he asked us, what did you catch? And we said nothing. Wasn't it three and a half years ago that he said those exact same words, cast your net on the other side? Wasn't it that same night that we pulled up all these fish? And wasn't it that the night, wasn't it that the night that Jesus became so real to us and we became followers of him? You know what I think happened? Jesus, I'm taking you back to your first love. I'm taking you back to the place of faithfulness. I'm taking you back to when you made that decision. And I want you to know. You're never too far from my love. I'll always come back. But there's a component that you have, to, you have to do. Watch this. It says, so therefore, that disciple who Jesus loved, which was, was, was John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter hears that Jesus came back, it says he took off his outer garment and plunged into the sea. Y'all, the guy who denied Jesus three times does a cannonball into the ocean and says, I got to get back. Listen, Jesus does the exact same miracle the exact same way. Why? He's telling Peter, it's never too late for you to follow me. You're never too far away to follow me. You've never denied me too much to come back. No matter where you are or what you've done, I'm taking you back. My love is reaching out. There is nothing that can separate you from the love and the grace of Christ. Not a boat, not an act, not a fish, not a sin, not your past. There is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing that can keep you from the grace and love of Jesus. But listen to me, church, but you got to jump in. And this is where the church is. You have a lot of people in the boat. You can call it the fellowship, discipleship, whatever ship you want. There's a lot of people that are in the ship who haven't jumped in. And he's coming back. He's like, I'm looking for a church. I'm looking for a church that's all in. I'm looking for a church that's going to cannonball, that's going to take the plunge. Hey. Jump on in, y'all. The water feels real good. Okay. When Peter jumps in the water, it signified him going all in. Now watch this. The same voice that denied him three times in Matthew 26 is the same voice that preaches in Acts 2 and 3,000 people get saved. The same voice who denied him in Matthew 26 is the same voice in Acts 3 when there's a beggar at the gate called Beautiful that says, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have, get up in the name of Jesus and walk. The same voice that was petrified and terrified of three little women at the city gate is the same body that has so much Jesus on the inside of them in Acts 5. That says, As Peter walked by, his shadow healed people. What am I saying? I'm saying you never know what's on the other side of your plunge. If you're just willing to take a step and say, you know what? I'm going all in. I'm, I don't care. It's going to cost me. I'm going to have to get undignified. Can you imagine what the people were saying when he jumped in? What's this fool doing? Doesn't he know he's in a boat? I bet that boat could get there faster than him swimming. What's he doing? You know what people are going to say when you go in? What is she doing? What is he doing? Acting all holy. Jesus freak. 
They don't talk like we talk. What are they doing? It's going to cost you. And I guess what I'm asking this morning is simply this. Are we going to be a church that jumps all in? It's going to cost you. I'm telling you, if you want a comfortable, convenient church, I can give you some other ones. This may not be the place. We want to raise up a group of people who are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ who will stand on his word, who will stand for righteousness, who will stand for holiness, who will stand for the things of God. And I'm telling you, in 2021, it's going to cost you. My question today as we close, here's how I want to end. If you say, Pastor, that's me, I want to be a part of that. I want to jump in. I don't care what my hair looks like. I know you just got it did. But I am jumping in, and I don't care the cost. Would you just stand on your feet? Let's make a declaration today. I'm going to close in prayer over you. We're jumping in. Before I pray for you, I want to say this. I know there's a group of people here. You feel just like Peter. That you're further away today than you have been in the past. And you've made some decisions. You've dealt with some sins. You've dealt with some things. And it's caused you to follow at a distance. I know there's some of you that there's shame and guilt that has arrested you. And you've asked yourself that same thing. I think Peter asked himself, how did I get to this spot? Jesus is coming back. And just like he stood on that shore and brought them back to the day when he called them. I believe right now, here's been my prayer all morning, that Jesus takes you back to the first time you met him and the rawness and the realness of it and he gives you another chance. Come on, do you receive that? Father, today, God, I thank you, God. I thank you for those that are coming back, those who have social distanced themselves from Christ and the cross. God, those who have come in with sin and shame and guilt, Lord, I pray right now, God, we lay that sin at your feet. We lay that shame at your feet. Lord, we, we lay that guilt at your feet. And God, we just say, forgive me. Will you say, forgive me? Lord, forgive us. Forgive us of our sins, God. God, we need you, God. We don't just need a Savior. We need the Lord. God, be our Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And God, we just commit to you today, God, as we stand, God, with brothers and sisters, that, God, we're going to be a church, God, that goes all in, that we're jumping in the water. Thank you, God. We want to be as close to you as we can. So, Lord, I pray a blessing over every person in this place today, God. God, for those that are making decisions to follow you, God, for those that are laying down sins at your feet, God, those, those that are coming back, God, we're all jumping in together. God, thank you for this word in Jesus' name. And if you agree with anything I said, would you shout amen one last time? Amen.